Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook, and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal, or extreme metal. And the eagle-eared amongst you, welcome back. What is he saying? Well, this is part two of a simultaneously released two-parter, if because that's how I've worked it, uh, of the top 20 albums of this year for me. Uh, if you haven't already, go and check out part one. It will have uh, top EPs of the year, uh, a few honourable mentions, and the list of 20 down to 11. Uh, on this part, we're also we're going to have, obviously, 10 down to 1, because that makes sense. Um, but we're going to start by looking at some things that weren't quite up to scratch and weren't quite all that very good at all. Um, just looking at some of the stuff that, that kind of sucked or was a bit, you know, didn't quite measure up to all these wonderful things we had planned or was just shit, was just really, really shit. Um, Alright, so where to start? We'll start with stuff that We'll go right, okay, we'll go with stuff that was disappointing to me. Um we'll start with This Place is a Zoo, um, with their EP Apathy. Um This Place is a Zoo was one of the final uh releases I covered before my excuse me, unplanned extended hiatus. And yeah, I I think I said at the time that I was familiar with This Place is a Zoo from back in the day. They were a very different, very unusual, um, and very sense of humor focused deathcore outfit. A lot of bounce in there, so it has a massive uh, new metal rhythm going through it. And yeah, they were just one of those like underground bands, bothering in the surface, never did anything too extreme, but were just like a fun little thing to have on the side. They came back after a few years of being away with apathy and yeah, it's kind of, if, if my understanding of the word apathy is correct, it was kind of that. It was, it was just sort of there. It just did nothing. It was just about 18, 20 minutes of fla- fairly ploddy kind of bounty deathcore. And I was a little part of me had had hope that it was going to be, even if it was going to hit me like a nostalgia train. Um, just something a bit exciting and it just wasn't that at all. It was quite dull. Um, into Four Years Strong with their album this year, Brain Pain. I've heard so much about Four Years Strong. A good friend of mine called Andy, he is so devoted to Four Years Strong. Um, especially, uh, did it get rich or die trying or something like that? Or live or die trying, whatever it is. And I'd never really got in on four years strong i'd only really ever done the singles here and there it must really suck to be four years strong uh, in the middle a few bits of here and there oh, there's one more song that i can th- i can hear in my head but i don't know the name for it because i've all got ridiculous fucking word uh, names for the songs so when brain pain came out i was like yeah this would be something a bit di- different it'd be something a bit good it'd be a maybe a good way to get into four years strong and it just really, really wasn't. It was so boring and so bland and so 
tacky. Like I mentioned in the previous part, spoilers, about Drag Dunder and their album, uh, The World Is In Your Way. And the way they were like bounding around like hardcore and getting like full on poppy pop punk riffs and hooks into this like very like bouncy hardcore that's kind of what i was expecting for four years strong i know they are very like tongue-in-cheek at times but some of this stuff is just tacky nonsense get out of my head was really like just daft um 17 is a fucking woeful song it's probably one of the worst songs of the year um Oh, just like reminiscing, I've, I've thankfully I've blocked a lot of it on my head. I just remember the anger, and I listened to it briefly um, yesterday, and I was like, "Yep, it's still as bad as I remember." Um, and yeah, just them reminiscing about girls or bollocks. I don't know. It's fucking awful. Young at Heart is another one that I remember not being all that great. Yeah, I was just very upset by the fact that it was just so boring. I had. Was it get out of my, it might have even been get out of my head. I tried to have that on like my phone playlist just to get into it and it never started. I was like every time I came on I was like no. It's just no. It's yeah. It was not good that. And it's a shame because for you strong are meant to be like were are one of those bands where they had such an upward trajectory and then something happened and they've been fucking rock bottom ever since. Um so that wasn't great. And the biggest surprise for me in terms of disappointment was Jamie Lenman, King of Clubs. I really, really like Jamie Lenman. I think he's a fantastic musician. He's musician. He's so diverse in what he does. He I met, compared Greg Preciato to um Devin Townsend in terms of uh vocally. In terms of musicianship and being able to bounce from one genre to the next, I think Jamie Lenman is a British alternative to Devon Townsend, exploring a lot of rock genres and a lot of hardcore genres. And he's always got the ethos that no one will listen to one style of music. There's always going to be an eclectic bunch, and I completely agree with that. But with King of Clubs, a lot of what he threw on paper just did not stick with me at all. Um, Summer of Discontent was like the lead single from it and it was like you know a bit different because i had illa man come in and do a rap vocal but i thought yeah this it could work it might be something that grew on me um i don't want to be your friend is sonically it's a nice little like hardcore stomper but lyrically it's very <coughs> excuse me the kind of criticisms that i hear for idols and that it's very the cat sat on the mat wearing a hat it's very like that that it's very to the point but almost too simply for me and the road to right is just it sounds like a b-side to devolver um, i couldn't tell you anything else about the rest of the tracks on the ep it was just very bland and i just couldn't vibe with it at all i'm really upset because like i said i fucking love jamie lundman i think he's a great musician um but yeah it wasn't all that great for me uh, Phoebe 333, Wrong Generation, I just fucking, we, we, the phoenix of the ashes that were let live, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, why, <laughs> fucking why, 
bite back was uh i think an immediate response to all the uh blm rejuvenation happened early in the year and it felt like it was a cathartic release for jason and it I, the song itself is probably the most okay one of the lot he's got a collaboration with walter delgado from writing out for on for the record that's an okay song i've apparently got supremacy liked on spotify but i can't remember how that goes um it's just got what's that lyric like got a glock in my hand but it's heavy or something like that it's fucking all the things i don't like about king 810 where it's just okay we get it you have a gun you're really cool i bet your penis is really big but fucking hell and i can't remember what song it is i think it might be walk through fire which is this very doughy treacle sweet pop ballad on wrong generation and it's just oh fact okay it's definitely not that okay it's definitely not that what was it i swear there was like a band oh it was last time oh it's just a him on the piano isn't it yeah what was supremacy again oh yeah supremacy was this like like uh mid-tempo rap rock song it's all just boring it's all quite dumb bite back is excitement is exciting because it's a slightly higher tempo than everything else um at same again for for the record in fact probably the best part about for the record is when walter comes in i don't know man i was so hyped on fever 333 when they started um but i go back to if I'm the devil more than I do strength in numbers by far by fucking far um but oh well I I would rather have a pressure cracks album next year than Fever 333 um the other one where I'm not sure if it lies in the middle or lies between disappointing and just straight up bad was the debut no the second Atena album Drowning Regret and Lungs Filled with Water I really like the lead song, um, Death Is All I Think About. I thought, in terms of like modern metalcore, it was something a little bit different. It wasn't like changing the game by any stretch of the imagination, but it was um, metalcore in with like a little bit of like ambience, some like electronic parts, but not to the point where it's electronic core. Um, it just added like a bit of depth to the sound. They had the clean vocalist didn't always do like the big melodic vocals that you hear in a lot of metalcore, and that I've like said that I quite like. It was more he's got quite a deep baritone voice, and he's always always tends to be like quite at the back and just supplementally sing as opposed to like bouncing off of him. And the scream himself had an interesting kind of scream. It was a lot more raw, but it was quite polished at the same time. And then the album finally came, and Born Rotten, which was the second single from the album, was boring. Uh, Death is All I Think About still holds up, but like No Hope for Miscarriage, the second vocalist on there is just... He, his execution on the 
chorus is so weird. It's like, like someone's. You don't know, remember at school when you had like the keyboard for music lesson and you had that dial on the side, which like it's basically a pitch shifter. The dong dong. It's he's basically doing that and he sounds ridiculous. Um, there's a lot. There's a c- continual theme throughout the album about um, abuse and you know. But just that abuse, there's a kid involved somewhere, and I don't know, apparently I've got a song called God Forsaken liked on here as well, how did that go? Um, cool, I think I like, I've got it saved because it sounds like a very generic metalcore song, and that was the peak this album got to. I'm so upset, the fact that everything I hoped for, this is all, I thought, when I, I found this is all I think about I'd found like this gold mine of a European metalcore album, but fucking guess not. And in terms of like, so that's like on the line between disappointing and bad stuff that was just straight up bad. There, there's two that came to mind. Two of the worst albums, worst bits of music I've listened to all fucking year. Um, first one is a kind of like a mean one. It's Solitary Sabred or Solitary Sabred. I think it's how it's pronounced. Um, by Fire and Brimstone. I found them because they were a Cypriot metal band. I've got big love for Cyprus. And they've got good pedigree with Power Metal. Um, Winter's Verge is probably the biggest band to come out of Cyprus. There's a few others. Um, a couple of them have split up, but there's a few others that are going through, and a lot of them are of that Power Metal ilk. Um, and I... Th- I found Solitary Saber. They had they had an album due out this year, and I was like, "Yeah, man, let's give that a go." And oh my fucking god! We all, anytime we we try to learn an instrument, we all play the greatest hits from our favorite bands. Um, and if you ever get into a band, I'm sure you want to try and emulate all the cool stuff that they did. Um, you can be inspired by it, you can try and put it into the music, but obviously as a group you say, well we can't just do it for four because that's exactly what they did. What if we like switched it around, change it around, and that's how you create music. You get inspired by other musicians, you mix around what they did, and then it becomes your own. No one's hold Solitary Save at that. Um, their album by Fire and Brimstone just sounds like late 80s era Man of War with the production of um early 80s man of war it's fucking awful that was i can only make it there's only one song i find halfway redeemable and i'm pretty certain there it is it's the opening song uh servants of the elder gods everything else is completely shit the first song uh servants of the elder gods is completely shit but it's only redeemable by the uh, fucking chorus in it. Uh, can I remember how it goes off my head? I literally just had it in my head. Then I talked and forgot. Oh yeah, blood for the blood god. So say his name. What the fuck is that? It's so bad, and I'm not doing it the service like I did. I sung along to something in the other episode. I can't think what it was. I'm not just doing it the service just to be spiteful. I swear to fucking god, that's what it sounds like. It's so not good. It's very not good at all. And it's, yeah, woefully disappointing. 
Um, although it's not worth disappointing. I was just wanting um, a Cypriot band to be good, and guess what? They're fucking not. Um, and the other one, the absolute worst album I have heard all year, and it is there's a margin of disappointment in it because it's one of my favorite bands of all time. I'm heartbroken to say, um, "Father of All Motherfuckers" by Green Day is an absolute infected impacted anus of an album i would rather have an ingrown toenail and fucking kick or have a door slammed on it i fucking hate this it's so like, down to the fucking artwork dude and the people the guys in green day are in their 50s like late 40s an absolute push but they're i know for certain that billy joe is in his 50s or I think for certain years, um, to have like an extension of um, American Idiot, The Hand and the Grenade, the actual band name to be written in Bloody Cum, the fucking unicorn. I'm pretty sure I saw that unicorn on those like emo comics back in like 2005. I just the more I look at it, the more, the worse it gets, and I, I, I have tried defending Green Day at every album. I, I, I will stand by 21st Century Breakdown alongside American Idiot. I will, I reckon you can get a greatest hit, like one complete very good album between the Uno Dos Tres trilogy. Um, and I, st- I even think there's a couple of belters Belters on Revolution Radio. There is nothing redeemable on this. It is all top to bottom so bad. Like the I can can I run down? Yeah, let's let's run down each and every song. Hopefully, it won't come over on the actual. It shouldn't do, but can I remember what each of them is? Oh yeah, so the title track was this really shit um, garage rock thing because billy joe really wants to age like a classic rock and roll star that he grew up with um so all like the kind of like do like not do ops what am i talking about the rock billy rock and roll guys from the 50s and 60s how they grew up to be like classic you know you're a cool guy kind of thing when when you look back they're probably all fucking pedos uh ready aim fire is just those same three words played over said over and over again that's the song Oh yeah, it's trying so hard to be cool, like Josh Homme. So that oh yeah, oh fuck off, uh, meet me on the roof. Oh, it's this insipidly sweet love song adjacent. That's not even the worst love song on there. I was a teenage teenager. Fuck me, I hate it. I hate it so much. It's so fucking bad. How's the chorus go? I was a teenage teenage teenager, full of piss and vinegar. My life's a mess, and school is just for suckers. Fif- early fifties is Billy Joe. Early fifties, and that's like that is. I don't know if you're when you write music, if you put yourself in the mindset of the subject you're sing you're singing about. But did he actually put himself in the in the headset of a teenager was writing that and thinking that was the coolest shit because that's what 13 year olds write in the back of the school planners when they're trying to be rock stars that's awful 
That's so bad. It's fucking dire. Like, this is a man who's written um, American Idiot and Dookie and Insomniac. And he's writing, I was a teenage nigger full of piss and vinegar. My life's a mess of school is just for suckers. School is just for suckers. Mm, good. All right. Stab you in the heart. What was that? Oh, my God. Yeah, there's another rock and roll one where he's trying to be. It's basically 12 bar blues. It's every rock and roll song from the 50s. They did it better on the song they um for Austin Powers, Espionage. Did it better on that. It's fucking cock. Sugar youth. Sugar youth is shit, it's just it's not as bad, it's the second best of a bad bunch. Junkies on high. Oh yeah, it's when they're trying to be this right, really cool, laid back, smoke a cigarette at the back of a convertible, um, low rider. It gave me vibes of nightlife from Dose, except I really like nightlife um, with Lady Cobra. Take the money and crawl. Apparently, it's the only song I have saved. To be fair, yeah, the reason why I like that is I kind of like the chorus. And that's about it. Oh, look, listen to it now. I think I'd kind of take Sugar Youth over that. Either way, they're both not great. And graf Graffiti. Oh, yeah. It's kind of gave me like weird country rock and roll vibes. It's all shit. I hate it. I'm so upset. Like I said, I, will, I have been trying to defend Green Day for years. And there's no, there's no... Um, defending that so by far the worst thing i've listened to this year uh i haven't it's it's so bad i haven't brought myself to listen to there's no fun monday's album which i still don't know whether it is a billy short armstrong solo or a green day album um yeah it's it's not good i would rather he carried on doing the lookouts his like power pop project he had back in 2018 i think it was that was fucking great that was so good um they even released a new network album this year which i haven't got around to listen to yet um and i think i'd still take the network over that last album awful go away i don't want to listen to you anymore let's listen or let's talk about things that were actually really really good uh my top 10 albums of the year starting with number 10 it is caspian's on circles it's the fifth album from the Beverly, Massachusetts uh, post-rock. Uh, can they be considered legends at this point? They're very, very big, very, very popular in the whole post-rock scene. Um, not a scene I am particularly into. I've said multiple times that just straight up post-rock is not usually for me. When it's combined with something else like hardcore or black metal, I become a big fan of it because of those juxtapositions of like the beautiful melodies plus with that crushing um heavy release oi oi um i'm a big fan of that but like straight up post rock i tend to like just get too distracted because i have a very simple brain and going into it i didn't know much about caspian i'd heard renfrey deadman of right act podcast again uh chat about them a lot their previous album uh was it dust and disquiet looks like it 
Um, their previous album, Dust in the Quiet, is his album of the decade. Uh, their makeup and how they produce music, it, it avoids crescendo core, that term that's used a lot in post-rock and post -rock, even post-metal. I know I've described a few albums at, at the same when trying to get into that genre, thinking, wow, it's really, really cool. And then you realize that, oh, your entire back catalog is the same. 11-minute songs that are just really quiet. And then the final three minutes is you going over some like swathes of music that's when you actually bothered um i've got a massive audio spike on that so that's gonna fuck up someone's headphones um but caspian yeah avoid all that they're not really cool they're able to like spread out the dips and the highs throughout each song and they become more flu uh, fluid more organic pieces of music and i thought why not like fuck it let's give uh, the new album ago it's five years in the making i know they've had um some internal issues i think their bass passed away just before or just after their previous album got released um so yeah that like emotionally recovery process into creating on circles you know why not um and it's a it's a heavenly piece of music i can't decide if i want this played in its entirety at my wedding or my funeral, because it gives me either kind of vibe. Riffs on the album almost feel like samples because they're just repeated over and over again, and then it allows the rest of the like. I know that sounds really stupid, but riffs tend to like come in, come out, come in, come out, come in, come out as a pawn to the song. There's, I think it's yeah, flowers of light. It starts the song. It is in the middle of the song. It is the entire the entire duration of the song is that riff, and the rest of the band just build around that one riff, um, all the way up to the ending. Or I think it is even like the last thing you hear as well. Um, it is the actual makeup of the riff itself, or the little lick that it is, is really different to like basic rock and metal, like rock and metal things. To, at least to me, having that like really light little fluttery sort of thing. Um, obviously bathed in effects and what have you and then it just like I said it takes over the entire song it's a similar sort of thing in Onzra and Division Blues sorry I'm just eating dinner and it's fighting back um, they come in they build a song and I think it was on Onzra it just flawlessly and without even noticing just like falls into the back and just slowly becomes part of the rest of the song and then it is the song. It's really weird to describe, but how it just sort of it disappears. But then you always feel like is it still there? Is it not? I'm sure, like somewhere in the mix, it's still there. Um, but yeah, guitar work like that was fucking insane. Definitely, the ending gambit of this album is just a joy to behold. It is a standard above, um, from like collapser into Ishmael into Circle on Circles. Collapser is probably the closest thing they get to anything metal adjacent. Uh, the way the lighter guitar parts and the strings juxtapose those like dooming stomps in the back from the drums and the bass. And like, I think they have like four guitarists. I'm sure like at least one guitarist is on like deep, boomy part. Um, and the way like those lighter parts and the strings sort of like carry the songs like you would have a vocalist do. Um, and it, although it is like the metal song of the album it's not full of like you you see like a lot of bands or at least i hear a lot of bands where they're predominantly like a soft 
like a softer end of the rock and metal spectrum and they have that one song which is aggression and it's full of like shred it's got this big old guitar riff or it's got a breakdown it's this has not got any anything like that clapser is the heavy caspian song on on circles but still remains within the vision that caspian feel like they set out on on circles um it's very precise it's very meticulous it's not overboard in the slightest from that it goes into ishmael which is a little bit more folk heavy which i'm a big fan of because you know time to time i can i do enjoy folk when it's combined with this sort of like floaty beauty big 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 ting fan um it's like again a slow very methodical build uh you could argue maybe crescendo cory but it's fucking so done so much better than anything that's usually thrown with that uh descriptor and again because it is like floating heavy once it gets to like the big um reverence of the song it's not ott it's not bombastic it's still everything is so in line with the rest of the album it knows exactly what kind of uh area or feel that wants to be or like feel the focus it wants to be and it just sits in that little compartment so neatly and just does everything it can within those parameters it's wonderful and then the final song in the album circle on circles oh my god it's the most wonderful song um it's one of the rare times they use vocals they had nostalgist and that had a guest appearance off Carl Derrick, I think from Pianos Become Teeth. I'm certain that song's got uh, vocals as a result. Um, but I think it was only on Dust and Disquiet where they even like started playing around with vocals. They're a predominantly instrumental post- post-rock band. And it was Philip Jameson who took over, who did the leads on this album. And again, even his vocals are so tempered and fitting and becoming of what I feel like the overall theme of in on circles is it's a, like a meandering but I don't think that's like a very nice word to describe some of the vocals but they just sort of like ebb and flow with the spaciousness of the music itself um it is just a gorgeous arrangement and again like when I say about I don't know how I want the album like wedding or funeral it all stems from circle on circles you can just get lost in it. It is the most collapsing, that beautiful piece of music. Um, and yeah, I think just on that alone, it's worth just looking out for and just seeing like what modern musicians can do to create something that sounds on par with like the really beautiful majesty about um, those like, old classical arrangements from like years and years ago. Um, yeah, it's a fucking beautiful album it is on circles the fifth album by post-rock again i i don't know if my first rock post-rock boys caspian Alrighty then moving on to number nine of the year god I'll just take a swig of drink and i'm still going uh it is the second album from the watford i reckon you can call them the super group yeah we'll call them a the super group uh, the Watford's... Uh, the fucking, I, I'm not going to call them anything anymore. It's Gold Key. With their second album, Panic Machine. They are a... In, genrally, musically, fucking hell. Um, an absolute clusterfuck of styles, genres, opinions, ideas. 
Uh, there's alt rock, there's prog, there's indie, there's hardcore, there's art rock. Uh, fucking anything else you want to throw in there, quite frankly. Excuse me. Um, the previous album, Hello Phantom, was like a massive slow burner for me. I was super hyped on the idea because I saw it advertised and I saw who was involved. You had um, Lags from Gallows. Obviously, Gallows is my favorite band of all time. Uh, Steve from Spycatcher, and I loved that second Spycatcher album. You also had James from Sixth and Jack from Nervous. And James also played some Crocodile as well. Uh, Jack was in Black Hole as well back in the day. And then obviously would go on to be part of Milk Teeth. So I was super excited because of that. It had like a good pedigree um, for the members involved. And again, yeah, super eclectic mix of alt-rock prog in the atmosphere. Um, and it was really difficult at first because there was so much going on in my puny little head of all of 23 years old just that I couldn't comprehend or it was just a bit too artsy for me or whatever. Um, but I wanted to keep going with it because, again, of who was involved. It's mostly because of Stephen Lags. Sorry, fellas, but... I, again, I fucking love those guys as musicians. I've never met them personally. So that's why I've got to put disclaimer. Lags, again, fucking gallows. And Steve Sears is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated vocalists in the country. And, yeah, it was a slow one. But I eventually got into uh, Hello Phantom. And I realised that it is a very, very good album. And I think where it's, like looking back on it now it's an album full of well it's an album made up of some very very like top tier songs uh creeping slowly the title track juvenoia kerosene uh mess and fall through the middle in there as well but there is a fair bit of filler there's just a lot of songs that sort of like plod along and i think that was just where them as a group i know like everyone in watford every musician that's come out of watford at all know each other and might actually all be related but just getting to like the grips with each other and how they all are as musicians and where they want this project to go and yada yada um panic machine improves on every part of hello phantom in every single way the ideas the experiments they all flow into each other and out of each other and like off each other so much better here the ideas themselves are so out there and so like arty and like almost avant-garde but they work in with the realms of indie and alt rock so well and like take a song like humans it has this like really bass heavy beat at its spine yet there's like this shimmery synth pop uh riff that just floats over the top of it the entire way through and little things like that like they should not work having a, a highly affected i'm assuming like guitar pulse effect um for the main lick on that and it just works so well within the context of the song uh jeff topley oh yeah sorry i'm trying to reread my own notes um so there's an online reviewed web online review website called echoes and dust um they also reviewed Panic Machine and the writer for it, Jeff Topley, described Don't Sleep 
which was the second. No, it was the third. Fucking hell, I had that all wrong. Um, so went Mechanical World, was it Crab Traps. That was different. That previous album. Yeah, went Mechanical World, Sweet Darkness, and Don't Sleep. Um, in the run up to Pipe Machine, but of Don't Sleep, which is his, probably one of like, the heavier songs, is quite a dirgy. Um, the effect on the guitars there make it sound all like borderline sludgy, but it's not sludge metal at all. Um, Totally described Don't Sleep as that Rocket from the Crypts. I'll try again. Describe describe Don't Sleep wonderfully as Rocket from the Crypt Rocket from the Crypts. Fucking hell. Um their song on a rope infused with danger escape plans, noise rock. And he puts it a lot fucking better than I do because I can't fucking say the sentence he wrote out. Um but that it's it's so spot on. Having the like it's a jaunty, upbeat tempo but it's like got this dark veneer and it's like crashing a sound on top of it like how Dillinger did back in the day um and yeah it's a it's a wonderful descriptor for that song the album in general has more prog leanings which just means that they can fit so much more into the song there's no song that's like seven eight nine minutes long I think looking here the longest song is 545 and that's Trick of the Light and oh my god does it it's worth every second of it trick of light is a fucking beautiful song it is the circle on circles of uh panic machine uh but sweet darkness the first song in the album goes from like this really dark brooding crawl and then the actual chorus itself is just like this massive stadium rock bop uh en- enchiladas enciladas track six um, it's just an octave away from being like this really bright pop rock song led by Jack's drumbeat, but the mix of uh, James's bass line keeps it so muted and then the guitars just float over it again a bit like how Caspian do and any transitionary period in Flying to the Sun is just this mashing of like guitar squeals woodblock acoustic guitars I think I think I can hear a theremin. It's like you someone's just let loose a year nine music room into a recording studio. I thought, hey, old lads, no bad. Um, I don't know why I'm doing so many fucking examples of being back in school. Hmm. Um, for me, again, the same with how I found. Um, let's try again. The same with like the end product of Hello Phantom. Uh, the undeniable star of the show is Steve Sears. I just can't get over him as a vocalist. He can hit highs, lows, growls, screels, screedles, sure. He's just an unbelievably talented man. And his voice is so infectious. It can float over you. It can like give you goosebumps. It can get you up and out your seat it can get you in a, into a pit he's just so good and i'm baffled that he is not on the minds and like in articles of more people and he's not being spoken about more as a musician and as a singer and i'm surprised he hasn't just like fucked it all off and say you know what you don't deserve me because he's such 
a good performer and such a good uh, range and command over his voice. Uh, it strikes me as, again, a Marmite sort of vocalist, but then my thing for that is if you... It's kind of like the opposite of Marmite, where if you don't like it, you're... A... No, you're... A... Yeah, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that implying that I like Marmite? I don't like Marmite. I've lost my own metaphor here. But basically, Steve Sears is a fucking genius. And Gold Key is a wonderful uh, concoction of music and styles and a variation. And ironically enough, they recorded it. And they recorded Hello Phantom the same way. Basically, they went to a recording studio in... I think it was Wales? Were they Wales? Or am I getting the mix up with Foxjaw? I think Foxtraw went to Devon and Goldkey went to Wales and they basically cut themselves off from the rest of the world. No phones, except the um, emergency contacts, but didn't really listen to the news, didn't look at any papers, didn't watch any TV, um, just like took themselves away, didn't see other people, just like stayed in this uh, room for however long and recorded music. They came out and like, oh shit, the rest of the world caught on and now they're doing an, an isolation too. So, if you want to blame Gold Key, you kind of can. They gave us the idea first, but, you know, I think they make up for it with this album. It is the second album. It is Gold Key with Panic Machine. Really good if you like music that's just super different. And, yes, they, it's made up of some very great musicians, and I love them. Moving on, then. <clears throat> that's a nice bit of puberty. Moving on then to the eighth album of the top 20, uh, or number eight in the top 20, I should say, and the highest performing non-rock or metal album of them all. It is the second album by the Osaka-born, uh, I don't even know what he is, like cloud rap, alternative hip-hop musician, Joji. And yeah, his second album called nectar uh his 2018 album ballads one was a bit of a surprise hit for me it's my first conscious look at uh cloud rap and the whole i guess as a result of that the whole like sound clap sound clap fucking hell sound cloud rap scene um and not really mumble rap but along those lines basically the new lo-fi hip-hop that's been doing fucking wonders over the internet over the past like three years or so in fact fucking less than that probably like two years um and what really set ballads apart over a lot of the other stuff that i'd like this guy is like the biggest name in cloud rap listen to him and oh it's kind of shit actually uh joji actually had songs in or on ballads um slow dancing in the dark is a fucking great song Test drive's pretty good. Yeah, right is okay. Can't get over you is kind of okay. And R.I.P. Another one that's just kind of okay. It felt like because his whole idea was he just wanted to make an album full of ballads, but all done similarly, like different. Um, so all like bouncing off like a different idea of what makes it a ballad. It did drag a bit, and it did become a bit. It's overall a very dark and broody presentation, but it did become a bit. It's, it was hard to get through to the end. That's why a lot of my like favourite songs on the album tend to be the first half. When you get to the second half, it's like, okay, mate, just... 
have, have you heard of four four? Have you heard of like more than six beats per minute? But you know that was what he's trying to do at the time. He's come back with nectar, and it is a like a soft reset. It is still in that lo-fi hip hop kind of world, but he is incorporating so much now. He's got pop, he's got R and B, he's got trap, hip hop, house, soul, synth pop in there. Um, it's a fucking eclectic mix, um, and and it just it works fucking well. It's like a, such a cacophony of like melancholic genres to uh, end up with one fluid musical direction that Joji has put out for himself and some of the songs they go from like wanting to like get back in nightclubs and you know buy over expensive drinks and get fucking shit face and have a dance uh have a cry both things I like to do well, I prefer the crying part um run Rivals Post Malone's collaboration with Ozzy for like the best rock infused trap song I can say ever at this point because trap is a genre that's only been around for a few years. Uh, songs like Modus, Daylight, Seven 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 are absolute bangers. I got um, from Seven Seven Seven. I got like it's basically like a sim- synth pop equivalent of Circles by Post Malone. Um. And Daylight, oh my god, I don't think I've gone a day since this album came out without listening to Daylight. Such a huge, fucking ginormous sounding song. It's so good. Um, And Modus is just another brilliant song. On the back of Ew as well, which is another great one. I can see, like, he, he knows the limitations of his voice. I think he's become such an improved vocalist from ballads. Um, He's got a smoother delivery. He allows the album to effortlessly carry over from one song to the next. He, I can see why people might grate on it a bit because he's only got like such a, a quite a small window. Like slow dancing in the dock is probably the big, biggest note he's hit on that previous album. I can't really think of anything on here that I can say is equivalent. He tends to stay in like more that low end sort of thing. But similar to what I was saying about. Um, Becky on that Milk Teeth album, even though he's doing like the low end sort of stuff, he never warbles. It's always like still a sustained note when he's trying to be like low and quiet. Um, like Mr. Hollywood, for example, is like Mr. Like I can't fucking do it because I'm musically broken. Um, but although it sounds like low end and it's very, he almost sounds like he's bored. The fact that he can still keep that note without it breaking or warbling i think is a testament to how much he's improved since ballads um yeah i think this is a a momentously good album from especially like for those three tracks alone modus daylight and 777 put them on any album and or like any like non-rock or metal album and you've got the foundations of one of the best albums of the year fucking great shit um yeah i think I don't know. I of all like the crossover sort of artists, I don't understand why Joji isn't more of one of them because he does tap into. He doesn't. He's not shy of like experimenting a little bit with rock. He's got a bit of a post rock um, crossover, I think, as well. Anyone is into like dream pop or uh, oh fuck, uh, dream pop, cloud rock, space rock, that sort of thing. But I think he's just. It's a. It's a great release, and I hope. 
it it does okay the one thing i will say it drags on a bit it, it's 53 minutes long across 18 tracks maybe could do with just clipping rid of some songs oh my god i've just seen some of the spotify plays on this daylight has 61 million plays god damn this is this is the other end of the board isn't it compared to anything to do with rock or metal yeah bunch of bastards but yeah that's nectar it's the second album by the osaka born alternative hip-hop artist it's so very very good um and yeah it is the best non-rock or metal album of the year for me so that must be worth something right okay with that in mind no more of the non-rock and metal stuff we're here to talk about angry music and punch people in the heads too i'm doing a spin kick you just can't tell uh, we're going to go on to album number seven of the year, and it is What the Dead Men Say by Trivium. It is their ninth studio album for the Orlando, Florida natives. And Trivium's comeback story, career trajectory, whatever you want to call it, it's just been absolutely insane. Like I remember on the back of Ascendancy, less so The Crusade, but Ascendancy, Shogun, and In Waves, there was so much talk about Trivium being future um, festival headliners, almost like a dead set on things like uh, Download, Sonosphere at the time, uh, Bloodstock, maybe even Vakan. And then Vengeance Falls came out. There was like a bit of trepidation with Inway. Some people were saying like, oh, it's probably the lowest thing they've done. They could probably bear like back up from here or whatever. Well, not it's not even the lowest thing that they've done. It's just a couple of tracks that didn't meet the heights of the rest of the album. And then Vengeance Falls came out and their stock plummeted. It was an overnight thing of, oh my god, no one gave a shit about Trivium anymore. And Silence in the Snow followed and there was a lot of people saying, like, okay, one album, one bad album was one thing, but two in a row, absolutely not. And I quite like Silence in the Snow. I think Matt has a very good singing voice. Um, and the, there was... The wrist was still there. Um, Akea didn't have like the speed and the pace of stuff before, but because he was solely a clean vocalist, um, it was always going to have more melody. And yeah, there was. I remember like they'd gone from like dead set festival headliners to they weren't even. Were they even headlining second stages at this point? Did anyone even care if they did or didn't? It was so such an alarming change of pace. And then over the past, like, when did Sinusense come out? Past three years, it's just been a completely new version of Trivium. The Sin and the Sentence came out, um, had Alex Bent on drums, and it completely revitalized the band, their sound, their pace, their energy, um, their Twitch channels, predominantly Matt Heafy, and their overall social media presence. They're just fun dudes they're cool guys they they don't have a bad thing really to say about anyone except that guy from uh no devotion who said trivium's last album was shit and then Paolo said you bear but you're pepido which was not really good for anyone to be honest um and yeah, now we're here with what Dead Men Say, and it's like a continuation that I think they are back in the conversation of future headline, or future headliners of festivals when we're allowed them again. Um, 
they've inherited some, but not all, of the melodic death metal influences from the Sin Descendants. Um, and a lot of that still comes from drummer Alex Ben. It's not just his speed, but it's his, as he does his fills, like you've got like offbeat, those like mini crashes just to like really punctuate. And I was associate that. I always associate things like that with just straight up death metal and melodic death, like the heavier end of it. Like you look at the sickness unto you, you've got massive blast beats with like offbeat mini crashes as well. The ones we leave the hat. I'll try again. The ones we leave behind. Drum fills again littered with little crash pops as well. Same, but the whole song of Amongst the Shadows and the Stones, just that opening of Matt Heafy. Okay, that's it's more Matt than Alex this time. But there's a bloody corpse like completely going for it. And so, yeah, there is that still aggression, that melodic death metal um, anger from this in the sentence. Uh, it still remains. And I think that is, that's always the direction that people wanted from Trivium because it always seems like the best direction they can go. You look at, um, I think, was it yesterday? Today, Matt Heafy posted his like the albums he's been listening to, and every, year on year on year, it is full of like modern metal records. He is such a proponent for um, supporting the things that you enjoy, um, listen to new music, discover new artists, discover new bands. Don't just get locked in with all the cool shit that happened in the eighties. Yeah, that was cool, but my god, look at all the cool shit that's happening right now. Um, and you look at the sort of things he's listened to year and year and year, and you think. If they're percolating in that little head of his, what must the outcome be? Like, how is that going to affect Trivium? And the fact he still listens to metal, he still enjoys metal, and the fact he still strives to be like the things he's listening to should be, like, that's what we enjoy from Trivium as an artist, or like as a as a unit. And, excuse me, there is not to say like this album is completely devoid of melody. It's got, like I said, a lot more than the sin in the sentence. They're obviously not quite the realms of silence in the snow. And it's not just like in the slower songs like Bleeding to Me or Scattering the Ashes. You look at the title track, you've got this largely melodious to guitars, but you still got a punch of pace from uh, Alex on drums. The Defiant is a very like heavy, riff centric sort of song. It reminds me a lot of like 80s thrash as a big, for me at least. There's a big Metallica influence in the album again, um, on Defiant, the like acoustic intro-y sort of thing. Um, it's just called Nine on the album. It made me think of the intro to Battery. Uh, Catastrophist as well has a lot of riffs that remind me of, or like the basic song structure and the songwriting reminded me a lot of um, 80s Metallica as well. And, you know, you're never going to go wrong with trying to sound like 8 Metallica, apart from Avenged Sevenfold. And they're still, still now picking up new things. This is what I was trying to, let's say in a minute ago, like Matt Heafy listens to this broad range of music that are still predominantly heavy and picks up little bits here and there. He's picking up, like, pick scrapes from Deathcore, and I I must admit, I'm a bit of a sucker for pick scrapes. There's a do-do-do-do-do, except not stand like a cat that's being stood on. Um... Him as a vocalist, he even seems to be trying to expand out his range a little bit on Catastrophist on the pre-chorus. Um, what is the line? 
I'm gonna have to listen to it, aren't I? Oh yeah, um I feel like I'm following a lifetime or whatever it is, what the lyric is. How he just like sounds it, he just sounds like it's a push note, almost like Dave Mustaine Ian. Um and I love it. I remember when the song came out and I, I i i logged into his well not logged into his twitch that's the wrong thing um i watched his twitch channel and i even said yo dude it sounds like you got a cool little vocal thing going on the catastrophist and i got timed out for some reason i'm not quite sure why um but the album has got like stadium-sized choruses i can't wait for like lashes to come back i think these guys will be headliners um definitely for their own tours they should at least be in the conversation for festival headlining because they are shut up phone they are back and i'd say bigger than the heights they got to on shogun and in waves i think yeah i like musically especially they are a show as good as shogun was um i think sin sentence and what the dead men say i've topped both uh both topped it I think, again, they should be in that conversation. It staggers me that this is their ninth album. I think the oldest between the four of them is uh, Corey. He's 37. Like, how long? Are we? I think Trivium are going to be our next um, legend status band. They're just going to keep going and going and going and hit, like, 20 odd studio albums because they all seem like they still get on they all look like mates again all really chill dude alex bent is fucking late 20s i think he's slightly older than me i think he's 27 prick um yeah i there's just nothing that i think trivium can achieve i think they're yeah i, I said about bleed from within that they should be a staple for modern uk metal Trivium should be the staple for modern metal in general for bands coming through. I, they're just what you want and how you should approach music in 2021 and going forward. Good shit. Good shit all around. Uh, number seven on the top 20 albums of this year is Trivium with What the Dead Men Say. Uh, yep, good things, bro. Moving in to... I'm going to have a sip of water first because my throat's hurting. I did it because I'm fairly certain that this next one's going to be a lot of me just going oh my god so good for like an hour again um i even made tea with honey in and it it's not working yet even though it's i've had it less than 30 seconds ago this is bullshit album number six then for top 20 etc is the water's flying back uh it's sleepless by palm reader it is a fourth studio album and they they started life as a frenetic chaotic hardcore band they are now a very expansive post-hardcore outfit and oh lord does it sound good i'm i'm at a point now where i think as a community as a nation as a planet we need to stop calling palm reader underappreciated and just skip the middleman and get them into a broader audience um they are the best untapped potential the uk has especially uk hardcore 
um, and I'm just bored of having that same rhetoric over and over again of, man, they just need to get more support. Man, if only they had a broader audience. Man, if they just fucking do it. I don't know who has to do what, but we're at a point now where Palm Reader should be on top of the world. Especially, especially on Sleepless. Like, holy fucking shit. Like, I remember I wrote an article for What Culture and pegged uh, Palm Reader, easy, as the heirs to Dinja Escape Fans Throne. But they have expanded out of that, like, mathcore, crazy hardcore sort of thing to heights that I never could have imagined and never could have predicted. On Braille, that previous album from 2018, very fucking good album. Uh, they really began pushing the boundaries of what they could do as um, as far as post-hardcore went. They started incorporating more post-rock, more dream-pop elements. There was a bunch more melody in there as well. Their lead singer, Josh McKeon, started singing cleans. And it was an experiment that I thought worked really, really well. I thought, again, I thought Braille was a great album. I'm pretty sure it made it into, uh, again, top 10. Do I still have my list open? I do. It was... I can't see. It was number three. That's how much I like Braille. Fuck me. Um, I still think deservedly so. Because it was just being out by Zelenada at number one. And Marmosette's at number two. Oh, would I put it higher than Marmosette's now? Ah, it's not a conversation I need to have for myself now. Um, yeah, the introduction of having clean vocals, I think it worked really well. Uh, let's go back. Uh, just trying to think of like the song that really had an inkling for the clean vocals that I think worked really well I think it was Inertia or Coalesque uh, Swarm I still think has got the best breakdown solo I don't know what it is but it's basically just like the build up and then it's just double kick drums no snare a little bit of hi-hat and then just the guitars scratching good fucking uh gets me every time i want to uppercut ox every time that part comes on hey we're not here to talk about braille him josh singing cleans now is the best talking point about sleepless um that along with the melody along with like the post the post hardcore the post rock and dream pop influence influences um they, as a band, have excelled on each each of those aspects. Um, the chorus of Hold Release. Oh my fucking god. I So Hold Release was like the uh, lead single of the album. And it came on my Spotify somewhere. And I was like, yeah, give it a listen. And I kept listening to it like very casually. Wasn't really taking it in. And it wasn't until I listened to the album proper. And that, eufo- that the line of Euphoria. I was like, oh... Oh my goodness me. This is... Uh, it's in, it's embarrassingly good. It's fucking overwhelmingly great. <coughs> Excuse me. The way that it does wash over you, like how I was saying Caspian make their post-rock do, it's the exact same thing. The way it just sort of like takes you over. Um, you get lost in McKeon's delivery. It is a beautiful execution. Just off that one word. Um, yeah, I say the rest of the song's pretty good too, but oh lordy me. 
ending cycle has a bridge dedicated to this like really eclectic post rock twinkle, um, and then this like really echoing chorus slams in and the rest of the band just sort of like jump in all at once and just clatter any sort of serenity you might have um and you can still hear it just like trying to like keep going underneath all that very slight delicate guitar lick underneath the boom and clatter of everything else uh false false thirst is like the like post heart the fucking hell I keep saying the wrong word the post rock song of sleepless and it looks like that that influence is something they're going to retain and like something that they're going to really really build on for uh, album number five and the fact that they've like stretching out like you look at their first album bad weather and the longest song on there okay so you got a couple of uh, yeah you got a couple of like long songs on there but predominantly it's 202, 206, 251, 222, uh, 223. Then you've got like second half of the album was where it uh, like stretches out a little bit. 428, 324, 210, 5, and 620. The fact that no song on here is less than three minutes. You've got song two songs that are over six. The fact that they are stretching out and allowing more to go into each song. You've got a bunch more grooves in there. Um, the guitars, Andy and Sam, the way they sort of like bounce off each other. You've got one that's doing like the more traditional, like dooming post-hardcore sort of riffs um, or chord progressions. And you've got another one that's sort of like doing something light and delicate or a still like melodic yet still quite mental guitar lick. Willow is my example for that. So you've got like everything going on. And you just got this like searing like and the effects on it and it's still quite distorted it still sounds very like on par with the rest of the album uh josh on bass when they're off fucking fiddling around with guitars he's still maintaining such a good bass line and like keeping the structure of the song together on his own um it's just it's like the grooves that they just make the songs and make the album as a result so much more powerful um both ends of the rope approaches like post metal or doom sort of territory which is why i think they're gonna like go more towards that in the future uh there's a, a massive like deftones vibe to the album as well the way that chino can sort of like still sound serene and be the focal point of a massive clattering behind him uh, Josh is now starting to get that as well. Look at um, A Bird and Its Feathers. Um, I love that Tethers and Ending Cycle. You've got so much going on around her, but he's the one that's like front and center holding the note and like um, just elongating everything around him. And it's still bastard heavy. Uh, the layered screams on Willow, on that uh, chorus... I don't know if it's just like Josh doing both parts or one of the other lads um, doing backups. It must be one of the lads doing backups, what I'm saying. But there's quite a few instances where they've got like a growl backing up as Josh has seen clean. But on Willow, he's still got a bit of a, a rasp to his voice on cleans. And then it goes into like Willow. 
says the part, and then it's like dueling, harsh vocals, and I think it sounds fucking great. It's a similar sort of thing on Brink, where you got those laid screams. Uh, Stay Down, again, very Deftonesy. Uh, riffs that bounce over like this bass and drum rhythm. And again, just to say, hold release. The feeling of overwhelmingness during those cries of euphoria. Um, the, the lyric, not actual euphoria, although maybe. It's just unreal. It's so brilliantly good. And it's staggering that it's only a month old. I think it came out... Was it November 27th it came out? And I think I only listened to it like the last week of... No, like, no, I was actually quite quick on getting to it. I think it'd been out a week by the time I listened to it. If it had come out, even like September, October time, it would be a top five finish, I think. Maybe. It's a staggeringly good album. It's brilliant. It's oh, words and such. Uh, it's a fourth studio album from Nottingham via Woking post-hardcore mob it is palm reader with sleepless very fucking good shit indeed and yeah i love the direction the band's going in or band's seemingly going in and i can't wait to see what they do with it next cool so we're into the top five now and it's going to be really hard not just to say isn't music just the best thing ever because it is, but I've said that I'm going to try and review shit as I go along, so fuck me, I guess. Um, my number five is the 11th album from Birmingham's second greatest, mm, one of Birmingham's greatest extreme metal exports for some reason, Birmingham. Seems to produce a lot of them. Napalm Death, isn't Carcass from there as well? I don't know. Uh... Regardless, the 11th studio album from Anal Nathrak um, is called Endarkenment. They are, if you are unfamiliar with Anal Nathrak, it's just like the, the, the technical man in me. It's industrial black metal with bits of death metal and bits of grindcore in there as well. Um, the logistical part of me just says it's a heavy, it's a very bastard heavy thing. Um, it's just... An auditory like clusterfuck of sounds, ideas. It's horrifying. But oh my lord, is it so good. There's a few albums in my top five that represent 2020 in different ways. Sonically, nothing sums up 2020 more than Endarkment. It is a vitriolic cathartic release um it gets it represents all the rage and all the anger that i feel like we um we as people have felt during lockdown during elections during shitty governments during uh wildfires uh economic collapse global warming it is just how i think people truly feel on the inside especially those under the age of 30 and yeah and mick and dave 
in the liner notes of the album and they when they talk about the lyrics that went into the album even they are piss angry at how the world well what the world has become uh which i will get into the another fact is consisted of those two musicians you got dave hunt on vocals uh you've got mick kenny as like a multi-instrumentalist they're both wildly versatile and it results in some just again horrific sounding brilliance uh dave hunt can pretty much do anything with his voice he can do a sick power metal like cry into the wilderness he can do horrifying black metal shrieks he can do dirged uh death metal growls he can out shrill king diamond in terms of that falsetto squeal which is probably my favorite part about his arsenal because oh my god the last thing you want to hear when you've got like 800 beats per minute of a cacophony of sounds is just this wild squeal echoing over the distance um, and Mick Kenny, his musicianship, again, it's a combination of some of music's most angry and powerful and fast genres. You've got black metal in there, you've got death metal in there, you've got grindcore, you've got industrial metal. So you've got plenty of pace, plenty of speed, and you're putting electronics over the top or like some kind of synth beat over the top. Um, and yeah, and it can, when it comes together, it's a fucking... Again, just a horrifying concoction. Um, the one thing they have been putting into more recent releases, I think actually no, they've been doing it for a year. Um, so I got into them on Desideratum in 2014, and they've been doing it since then at least. But I feel like I've gone back a couple of songs, and they've been doing it since then. Either way, they have these huge choruses that sometimes tip the line of like extreme power metal because of Dave Hunt's voice um, on here with the sole exception of Thus Always the Tyrants which just constantly sounds f fucking angry and it just sounds like Doomsday all around and Beyond Words which is just noise rock um, it just offers out of context of the lyrics it just offers this slight reprieve and this slight like excerpt of hope the fact that it does go like big, like melodious, it's huge. Like, again, I cannot understate how huge these choruses sound with everything else going on around it. Um, that brief reprieve before everything comes back again, and it just it sets it apart. The juxtaposition sets it apart so well. Um, you're looking at uh, libidinous, a pig with cognitive eyes, feeding the death machine, age of starlight ends. Um, the bitterness is the song as well that will feel like a reprieve and a little bit of hope because he just sounds like almost defeated as he see as he sings the chorus on the bitterness. It's hard to describe compared to like Age of Starlight ends where he's hitting this like huge vocal note. It seems a bit more subdued and a bit more normal on libidinous. Um and it's one of the Either one of the rare times, I think even maybe the first time, uh, an Alathrak have allowed an insight into the lyrics that are going on in the album. And when you read the liner notes of the album, you just see 
how Dave sees the world and his vision of seeing the world in its decay, like the abundance of self-priority, um, like choosing yourself over your fellow man. That's where the album title comes from, like in Darkament. I can't remember what the quote he used was, but it's basically saying how he you're not allowing change or challenge to your own personal beliefs you're just cho choosing to trust yourself or what you believe is yourself over experts and people who know what to talk about so instead of the dawn of enlightenment you are entering the dawn of endarkenment which i think is a great descriptor of like modern commentary and a great way to work it into the album uh, you've got the collapse of political support, which can go on forever. Is it um, punish them, for example? It's all about a a case in, I think it's Indonesia, where a woman uh, claims she was forced into doing into smuggling drugs into the country. Regard like that is her her side of it, and that's fair enough. But the penalty is the death penalty. And there's people online saying, yeah, do it. She deserves it. Like, for drugs? Really? Are we still at that point? Um, and as a result of that, it, it's not just the only song on here, but it, there are several songs that also cover like the bloodthirst, but, bleh, bloodthirst from people for revenge or for punishment or for anything of that. Of that sickening idea of uh, judgment and justice in the modern era it's a sickening indictment and a great commentary by dave and i was reading like other reviews for endarkenment and one of the reviews i found rated it something like three out of five um from their rating system and they said how the Thrak songwriting structure had become very formulaic and then went on to say although there's nothing no one else quite like making music quite like this i just thought to myself how can you say something is so formulaic yet still a class of one like i can't find anyone like certainly no like even even remotely um weighted name that i can say honestly like oh yeah that sounds like an alathrak i can say like i can compare like the anger or the aggression someone puts into a song on par with something that an alathrak would do but i can't say it sounds sonically the same and if you've got a band that's going oh it's like 20 odd years on maybe even more than that and they still don't have a musical partner or rival like you like think of um the big four big four thrash uh was it metallica or i think slayer might have came first i think slayer was 81 metallica was 81 megadeth was 82 and anthrax 84 I think in terms of when they all um, like formed 
and regardless, like you had like th- th- four of the biggest thrash metal albums all within about five years of each other. Probably less than that. Probably three years of each other. So you had like the biggest names of thrash saying that oh, this Metallica is going to be the next big thing, or Slayer is going to be the next big thing. They were all happening at the same sort of time. They immediately had competition with each other. Anamthrak don't really have that. I don't know anyone who's trying to like beat Anamthrak for their crown. That should say everything you need about Anamthrak and how good they are as an extreme metal outfit. And yeah, they are for me the best heavy band out there. Um, I might be in the minority preferring them over Napalm Death at the moment. That Napalm Death album is still pretty great. Um, might have snuck into the top 20, but I don't think it would have topped um, Endarkenment, uh, which is my number five of the year. It's by Analthrak. I've mentioned them a lot, so just one last time. And yeah, if you like actual proper aggressive music, um, fucking... It, I, I doubt you'll find anything that can top it in the same way that Analthrak can. Cool. Moving on then to number four. We're slowly getting there. Slowly getting there. Hour and 20 minutes. God, we can do this. Uh, number four for my end of year list is Sex, Death and the Infinite Void by Creeper. The second album from the Southampton-based gothic punk uh, troupe. I'm running out of words to describe bands now. When well, on the back of Eternity in Your Arms in 2017 and even all the eps that came before uh creeper were making it so it felt excuse me it felt okay to be to have goth vibes it felt okay to want to wear all black everything it felt okay to want to paint your fingernails to um put a bit of eyeshadow on to put stupid colors in your hair it felt right and it felt okay for the first time since about 2007 and there was a show in was it 2018, must be 19, where they quote unquote died. And, you know, they had the show where they put, they took their jackets off and like put, left them in the middle of the set. And then they just disappeared for a while and just like recouped themselves because they'd been going hard. Um, but it never faded away from the fact that it felt, again, it just felt okay. It didn't feel like a pun or a joke to want to dress like that anymore and I gotta admit that's what I loved about Creeper a lot and then there was all the music and oh my god Eternity in Your Arms was just the best was it my album of the year it was it was my album of the year of 2017 um a lot of repeat offenders <clears throat> excuse me and yeah it was a lot of silence for a while and then Born Cold came out, which was the lead single for Sex, Death, and the Infinite Void, or what would become Sex, Death, and the Infinite Void. And you could tell something was different. I'd say it didn't have the immediacy of anything on Eternity in Your Arms or even anything on the EPs. Um, it lacked the same kind of gravitas, but it didn't lack gravitas as a whole, if that makes sense. Um, there was a little bit more alt rock in there, a little bit of Brit pop, as I've come to learn. 
uh, at the time I was like, there's something different. I just don't know what my what it is. I can't put my finger on it. And in the time since I'm like, ah, it's, that's a Brit pop. That's what they, they, that is. And then Annabelle came out and it was a bit more jaunty. Um, loads more Brit pop in there. It was still lyrically creeper. Um, almost like a forbidden or a cursed love um love song a huge oh my god a huge theatrical chorus to resonate you had a swell of strings you had uh that massive group vocal as well just like the coy aggression of saying not that bad it was great it far exceeded uh, Born Cold, in my opinion. And then you got uh, Cyanide, which topped all of them. It was a fucking game changer. Uh, I think it had more to do, or was more in touch with vaudeville than punk at times. Hannah on keys and Sean on bass, doing like that tandem bass line, just worked absolute wonders. Like the doo-wop kind of guitar bends um, throughout the song. Almost like that. I think it's an organ that gets played throughout, and it's just Chef's Kiss. Good. Cyanide was a fucking belter of a song. It truly was fucking outrageous, and I I was settled in there. I, I did a single come out after Cyanide. I think all my friends, Be My End, and Poison Heart all came out. I didn't give a fuck about any of them. I was just like, I want. I want the album. I, I don't want to spoil myself anymore. I've had my starter. I want the main course. Right bloody now. And the full album came out. And oh, oh lord. Oh lord, it's a good. Um, it's a mess of doo-wop, uh, emo, Britpop, goth rock, punk, glam, post-punk. Uh, fucking Paradise reminds me of Ghost Town by The Specials. Poisoned Heart is this like really sultry gothic ballad. Four years ago, it deserves to be in like this black and white film noir, like Casablanca sort of thing, or whatever actual film noir is. I have no idea. Um, something with a really elegant French poster. Napalm Girls is probably the most like straightforward alt rock song in here, but it can still hold up against like actual alt rock stars like Linkin Park or Thirty Seconds to Mars. Uh, All My Friends is this album's version of Crickets. It's such an emotionally draining song. And you can, if you if you think that I have gone, I've moved out of Lincoln, and I've moved to a different part of the country, leaving all my friends behind, if you think that song isn't difficult to listen to now, then boy, fuck. There's bleary eyes on this big, tall fuck. Um, it's just... It's insane. Oh my god. I, this just... Again, this is the part of the um, review episode where I'm like, I just haven't got the words to describe how good everything is. Um, looking at the album on Spotify, all the favourited songs are the songs, all like the in the middly bits, um, the interludes, they're blanked out. I could have any combination of songs on a playlist just to pop up randomly and I could listen to the whole thing as full. It's only 39 fucking minutes for Christ's sake. Ah, oh, I love this album. It's so good. 
Um, Will sounds completely rejuvenated. And like, in comparison, Will on Eternity in Your Arms sounded quite like reserved. He was still hitting like big notes, but for whatever reason, he just felt like he was pulling back a little bit. But now on here, the confidence he has to try different things. And he was like the principal songwriter for the album. Imagine on the back of Eternity in Your Arms going into a bunch of like mopey goths and saying, what if, now hear me out, what if, doo-wop. Uh, uh, and everyone was like, yes, let's fucking do it. He hits notes no one would dare even try. He's like the great baritone gothic voice of years gone by, but just modern and able to hit the highs as well. Um, you've got a song like Thorns of Love that sounds like the Beatles meets Meatloaf. Like, what the fuck does that even sound like anymore? Ice just an absolute trooper is Will, but not the trooper. The MVP on the album for me is Hannah um, on keyboards and backing. She is just without a doubt the true MVP. Um, I mentioned when talking about Milk Teeth about M being like one of the best backing vocalists of the year and just in general my one to say like she's one of but not the best was hannah the way she can guide songs like the holding notes on songs like cyanide thorns and love uh annabelle just adding to like the wall of sound that's being built around them by like the synth and the pianos and the organs and the guitars and fucking everything in between. Just those general overlaps with Will to sort of like bolster him along and the juxtaposition between her quite soft and sweet voice and his like deep baritone. And her piano playing. Her piano playing. It's it's so weird to pick up on a piano playing that's not a synth symphonic record. Um, All My Friends is the easy one. Because um, it is a piano ballad, I think. Um four years ago was also an easy one um but cyanide as well is like boom, 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 boom. i'm i'm so convinced that's piano not guitar um but just like the organ as well i don't know if she had control of the organ sound as well or if that was to do with like the secondary uh, arrangements but her playing on cyanide to back up uh sean on bass like i said just like the underlined is always a story being told us in any layer of the song and it is her and sean on there the little twinkles is most prominently on born cold and be my end just like the blink 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 or even like when it's fast like blink 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 blink, blink. Uh, it's on black moon as well the fucking piano i think carries thorns of love and poison heart um more so than the guitars and bass and drums and even will does i think she's just she does a fucking great job. We are simping for Hannah here on Desolation Sounds Podcast, and I just don't care because I remember thinking back and I remember listening to a review about Eternity in Your Arms and at the time thinking that wow, she has got great credentials. Like I like listening through all the creeper uh EPs and like that slow progression of her not being in the band, just doing like backings and like just bolstering what needed and adding that little bit of glam into all the goth punk becoming like um a pseudo secondary vocalist at times to eternity in your arms where she sort of like it we thought like 
that's like the peak of evolution for Hannah. And then now with Sex, Death, and the Void and how she is on there, she um, co-fronting four years ago, her backings, the backing of Will, the backing of like the music, her piano playing. Honestly, there's so that's i don't know where she can go from here but it's got to be like only up it's only got to be better from here um not that sounded really 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 rude it's she can own hang on let me think about this before i insult anyone she's brilliant now exceeded my expectations who knows where she can go next that's what i'm trying to say without sounding like a cunt um the album the, the overall confidence of the band is insane again walking to a room said hey guys drop that eyeliner we're doing doo-wop now we're wearing white and everyone's like boy howdy are we it's unreal and the ideas that the things are thrown together um the fact that will has got salem on the side to do is like proper old school creeper style gothic punk is perhaps telling because if that's where he's going to go to for his like his outright punk what the fuck is going to come next for Creeper if, and then their sound? They've, they went to doo-wop. I cannot doo-wop. Like, where do they go next? Do they go full glam? Do they still somehow keep all those influences in? Is it just like a sequel to this? Do they go back? Do they try putting in fucking, I don't know, bardcore in the next album? I'm just blown away. I this was a top three contender up until like a month ago and uh, I've, I've committed i don't want to think about if i've made a mistake but oh my god sex death the instant void the second album from creeper it's my number four it's bloody brilliant lord okay we are in top three territory now oh my throat um and my number three is the best debut album of the year it is uh coming all the way from bristol it is a mad cacophony of prog alt rock post hardcore a bit of indie um all sorts it is the debut album from foxjaw uh it's called royal swan there's been a lot of hype and a lot of hubbub uh about foxjaw i have seen about them a lot i didn't really care too much because i thought just like looking at the artwork for the EPs they've done um, and then being like wild and wacky and, you know, the audacity to have actual personalities. I thought it was going to be, you know, not my sort of thing, like very dark indie, whatever. And oh boy, was I wrong. There's so much to take in and comprehend with their sound, but it's so, so easy to do. I remember listen, putting this on for the first time. And I blinked and it was the end of the record. And I I didn't stop smiling throughout the entire thing. And I never smile. I hate smiling. But then Royal Swan was just the ideas, the crash. I remember stopping a few times just to see what the song was. So I remember to like cope peg it in my head. So I knew to always go back to it. And it was like songs like Triple AAA and um, An Owl is a Cat with Wings. Great song title, by the way. Um and it's like a the juxtaposition between like guitars and um, vocals. So the guitars of Josh and Alexander versus Danny on vocals 
it is post-rock adjacent, but it is like post-hardcore fighting against um, the post-rockness because of how things like Veer and like Get to Heights, but it is still heavily distorted and it sounds fucking angry as fuck. Uh, Trophies in the Attic and Owl is a Cat with Wings and Tart Track are all um, big examples of that. The sort of like sp- half spoken word, half sung verses um, by Danny. It's such a weird thing to listen to, but he's done it so well. He's got such a smooth voice. Um, I'd say it is almost gold key like and how he just sort of like he could be doing like the most delicate note and he still sounds smooth as shit um and like he's got the unusual punctuation as well um is it no it's not triple a think it might be um an hour of the cattle it's like the and the make him a king I can't remember the lyrics, but it's just like very like short sp- short bursts of vocal, but they're all very calm and collected, and then the rest of the song kicks in, and it gets bastard heavy, but he still sings rather calm and rather uh, sedate. So I guess that's more to do with like closer to Joji and um, Jameson. I can't remember his first name uh, from Caspian as well. How they still maintain they've got a short got like a small um vocal range that they want to use but they use every inch of it and they use every inch of it so well <clears throat> alex their guitarist and backing vocalist he well sometimes backing vocalist sometimes co-vocalist he's got a more raw more josh McKeown from palm reader sort of vocal um so on triple aa triple aaa he just adds an extra bit of heaviness, an extra bit of danger to the song. Um, having those very like more shrill, kind of raw vocal streams. And I think it works spiffingly well for the song and really, really well for the album. The musicianship is Dillinger Escape Plan-esque. And the way it is, there's so many things happening once, so many different time signatures, so many different like sounds that are experimenting with. And it's all just like coming together and just like noise haze um so i'm looking at things like one of us is the killer symptom of a terminal illness widower unretrified just how everything clashes but clashes so much that it just smooths off into each other it's such an interesting album it's so it's it's such a a paradox because it is so interesting there's so many things going on and you want to invest and pick up every last little note but it's so easy it's so easy to listen to and so easy to take everything in i was in love with half house on like the second listen i could identify bits of triple aaa on like the third listen i knew what songs i preferred over which so fast um it's musically a fucking joy and you've got like off-kilter lyricisms as well and it bounds around from like grandiose metaphors to personal tales to sometimes i think it might just be nonsense and they're just laughing at me um you've got a song called you don't drink a unicorn's blood 
which just keeps saying you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't drink your unicorn's blood. I, uh, half house has lyric. We're living in the half house has cauldron spit acidic lemonade. I keep picking up that acidic lemonade lyric all the time. Keep trying to think what the fuck is he trying to say before that. I googled it. I still have no idea what he's trying to say. He might be just doing a big brain play, and I'm too small brain. Uh, Trove is in the attic, so we wave goodbye at our chalky cliffs and grand piers. At least I've got an ice cream. I feel like that's like a bigger metaphor for. Oh my god, is that us leaving the EU? <sighs> have I just matched his big brain play? I think I have. Revelations here at Desolation Style Podcast. Uh, the title track, Royal Swan, which is a beautiful, like, post metal heavy um, track with loads of post hardcore. And I feel like if anything's got, like, a slightest bit of melody or slightest bit of, like, ambience, I just keep comparing it to post rock or post metal. Um, again, very simple, apart from understanding what trophies in the attic means. Um, for England, spinning a frenzy and falling out of its mates, and nobody wants a pharmacy car boot sale. Um, I feel like that's also probably EUE. Maybe even like UKE, because no one in the UK likes us. Not even we like us. The weird lyricisms and the weird um, how it keeps going from something quite serious to quite daft. And a lot of examples, like, so at least of our ice cream, acidic lemonade. Um, car boot sale they've all very normalized terms and normalized things using the like a bigger scale if that makes sense it reminds me a lot of hawkeyes in that way um where they they usually sing about absolute bollocks hawkeyes like actually bollocks but the way they go from singing like using words that are very uh big and high like high definition in terms of words and then just slipping in little idioms or just like very casual, normal, everyday used words, which I don't, it's not, I'm not describing it very well, but how they go from like those two opposite ends of very normal speak to um, your musical metaphors. I get a lot of that here, basically. Uh, it, I just can't comprehend how much this, how much is in this album but how easy it is to digest and how this is their first album. God damn. I know they've had like a few EPs beforehand, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Half House is a brilliant song. Triple uh, AAA is also fucking fantastic. And Owls of Cat with Wings, Bats for Bleeding. The title track is astounding. Um, infinite badness they've all got their own little hook in some way or another trophies in excuse me trophies in the attic yeah start you can this is a great example of an album where you can pick excuse me fuck now you can pick out any song and listen to it individually and you think that is a great song and then you can put on the album and you can listen to it from start to finish not want to skip anything and you think that is a great album there's like in any like with most albums there's always like one song that like, ah it's a bit weaker but this is on its own, yeah, you've got songs that are weaker. I, um, I'm not the biggest fan of The Monk. Um, but played in the context with the rest of the album, I could happily sit through and listen to it again. And again and again. I just... I think, in terms of like whole albums, like fluid albums, this is... Mm. If we're going for like a fluid album instead of like a collection of songs... I'd say this would be number two. 
Um, but it's also down to personal preference. I prefer my two and one. So I don't know where I was going with that statement. It's midnight where I am at the moment, currently recording. So fuck you. Uh, my number three, the third best album of the year for me is Royal Swan by Foxtraw, their debut album. Go and find it because it is a mad mess of fucking brilliance. How are you then? Number two, the runner-up. Well, I've been bouncing between my number one and number two since I think the second out of the two came out in March. One came out February, one came out March, I think. And then it's just been a back and forth trying to pick between them ever since. Um, I've got one which is just, as a whole, a triumph for not just me, but for the music industry as a whole. And then I've got one album which is the most resonating to me as a human being. And when you do your own personal top 10, top 20, top whatever, you always got to think about do you, like how how do you gauge your own top whatever? Is it down to the wider populace? Is it down to you as a person? Is it down to how it makes you feel? How, what is it? Um, and when it came to the EPs, I went with what I think is my... I went with a me vote. That's why Douche won over Wake of a Nation. This time... I went with me second for some reason. And my number two is an album that I think if Analothrak is the cathartic release of 2020 and like the embodiment of all the rage and hate that we've had over the past 12 months, Spanish love songs with Brave Faces Everyone is the written down emotional feeling of despair, despondency, depression, anxiety, frustration, 2020. It is unfathomably the best commentary of this past year that I could possibly think of. Like from individual lyrics to um, how vocalist Dylan Slocum executes each lyric. I'm looking at their bandcamp now and like the comments on the side, uh, depression, the album, uh, pop punk for grown-ups, um, the best answer to the question, what economic anxiety was a sound. Um, it's not going to solve the existential terror of being alive today, but it might make you feel a little less alone. It is what the Menzingers get praised for as emo, as an emo band. It is what the One Lee years get praised for as an emo band. It is making very real, very crushing, emotional events relatable. And Spanish love songs on Brave Faces Everyone just gets it they they just get it in italics um their previous album schmaltz uh, from 2018 was a great album let's find out where it ended up in the end of year list it was my 
uh, where are you, you bastard? Fucking hell, it's 27th! Man, I did the, I did you guys dirty, fucking hell. And I put an Anthrax 25, fuck. Let's not look at that anymore. Um, Schmaltz is still a great album. I know I've like done it dirty there, but it's a fantastic album. Um, I think the reason why I put it as low down as I did is because while the highs of Schmaltz are high, um, sequels, remakes, and adapt adaptations, Buffalo, Buffalo, the boys considers his head cut, um, Joanna and five parts, Il Nino considers, considers his failures. They are great songs, but the bits around it, so Otis and Carl, Bellyache, it's not interesting. They felt more filler. So the highs were super high, but the lows were very middling. Whereas I don't think uh, Brave Faces Everyone really suffers from that. You just got like super, super highs and then songs that are just really good. Um, and I just, from the, from the first lyric of Routine Pain, was, which was on any given day, I'm a 6 of 10, which I know is to do with a um a musician friend of theirs who um said that before his passing but to hear that like any on any given day i'm a six of ten it's and it's just the inner um put down in me was like i i fucking feel that i just that, that that's a vibe that's a vibe um the lyrics there's probably a lyric on every song that you could pick out and it'll feel like being a highly strong highly anxious possibly depressed um millennial to anyone um on self-destruction as a sensible career choice it won't bleed this it won't be this bleak forever yeah right i hope you're right have you seen me lately um generation lost you're a 20 year old 29 year old fucking hell you're a 29 year panic attack you're not the fashionable kind um a little bit further down we're just so fucking tired of explaining ourselves we throw a pill down our throats or ourselves into the ocean uh kick say keep your head up if you're not okay but not okay is what's expected claim your hero if you can make it off the couch you know the truth and what they say the words can kick you out of the way i'm not going to go through each one but guaranteed there is a a lyric on every single song that would speak to you as a person in this modern age where everything is shitty all the time and it just it does make you feel a little bit less alone it doesn't make you feel well sorry it does make you feel like you're not overthinking you're not overreacting this is how people feel now this is almost a norm now which is terrifying in its own right but you know that other people are at least acknowledging the same things you are um the album covers like depression anxiety capitalism just trying to make it again in inverted italics uh drug abuse as well it all it does do the thing that menzingers do where it tells a story but uses um, subject matter which is very real um so which one i think it was in kick um seeing when you saw your dad shoot for the first time it became quite a shock and then um being a sunday school to ending up being a drug dealer having to like leave your um girlfriend as a mother as you go off to prison. I'm not saying any of that shit's happened to me. But I know 
people who will have resonance with seeing a dad or say a parent with substance abuse um getting uh well using drugs and maybe not using all the ones that you should be using um drug crime or drug uh, america is a lot more sensitive with drugs than the uk is i feel like um so bits of that would be a lot more indicative to them but just the overall thing of the pressure of like just even drugs around you where they're so stigmatized in general like even down to something like as daft as weed i've seen and i've been around people who have smoked um weed and they are not violent they are not vicious they're fucking stupid um a friend of mine got high in my room once I opened up the fridge, a lettuce fell out, and she laughed at her lettuce for 15 minutes. That's the height, <laughs> That's the height of someone high on um, uh, weed. The musicianship on the album means that any song could have been the lead single, um, and any song could continue to be a single uh, like thereafter its release. Um, it is... Again, one of those albums where you just think it's just fucking great. It is peak, the peak level of pop punk. Um, it's not doe uh, it's not doe-eyed and soppy sonically. It's very like, it's fucking emo as shit. Um, but it's not like pissed veal or all-time low or anything like that. Where it's sort of like a very effeminate vocal which like if you're into that sort of thing fair enough but i know for a fact i'm not the guitars sound like they've actually got distortion pedal behind them not just you don't look at a distortion pedal and just hope for the best um it just sounds like everything's got a bit more of a punch i think spanish love songs need to be like as a emerging big three of emo alongside menzingers alongside the wonder years as like the staples of the genre because how they write music how they tell the stories in their lyrics there is no one at the moment that is even going anywhere near those acts um and yeah as the album like speaks to me as daft as it is to say spanish love songs is my number one when i get to my number one i'll explain why that one over and yada yada but it is the number one of my heart it is brave faces everyone by Spanish love songs. It's it's just fucking. I keep wanting to say it's fantastic, but and it's like next to flawless. But it's that's that's there's a reason why it's number two, and we will get to. But I'm going to do a quick rundown first. So starting with, oh, squeaky chair. Starting with number twenty, it was Ohms by Deftones. Number nineteen was a self-titled album and last album by Milk Teeth. Uh, 18 was Petals for Armor by Hayley Williams. Uh, number 17 was When I Die Will I Get Better by Svalbard. Yeah, right, like that. Yeah. Uh, number 16, Clipping with Visions of Bodies Being Burned. Number 15, Sharp Tooth with Transitional Forms. Number 14 was Dragged Under, The World Is In Your Way. Uh, 13, Sculpture of Violence by Giver. Number 12, uh, Bleed From Within with Fracture. And then number 11 was Run the Jewels with the very important RTJ4. Uh, number 10, Caspian on Circles. Number 9, Gold Key with Panic Machine. Number 8 was Joji with Nectar. 7 was What the Dead Men Say um, 
by Trivium. Number six, Sleepless by Palm Reader. Number five, and now on the Thrack within Darkenment. Number four, Creeper, Sex Death, and the Infinite Void. Number three, Foxjaw with Royal Swan. And then number two, Spanish Love Songs. Brave Faces, everyone, but my number one. I mentioned um, Spanish Love Songs are my number one. I'd been bouncing between the two since the second of the two came out. Um, Brave Faces, everyone, came out in February, I think. My number one, I'm fairly certain, was about March time. And, yeah, so... Brave Faces, everyone, was the was the album that spoke to me the most. And when I was doing my EPs as well, um, I had to go with what felt important over... Well, sorry, I felt... What resonated with me more, even if it was, like, something stupid, over what I felt was more important. That's why... I chose the hell over Zealand Arda. This time I had to go with what felt more important to music over what felt more endearing to me. Because at the moment I don't know of a of an album excuse me, or a band that are setting trends and making waves quite like Code Orange and their latest album underneath. Their fourth album of shit white hot hardcore done in a way that no one else is doing. Done in a way that no one else has done since forever in 2017. For music, I can't understand how anyone with an ear to alternative music would pass this by or would not find anything redeeming to it because A, it will cover any alternative sound that you are going that you are into, and B, it will do it ten times better. Um it is a cacophony of industrial, it is hardcore, it is metal, it is punk, it is new metal, it is frenetic, it is catchy, it is heavy as sin. Um, but it is, and somehow it, it is working. It is, again, the anal on the thrack effect where it is so bastard heavy that you can't comprehend it, but there's so much in there that keeps you hooked and keeps you going and keeps you interested in what's going to come next. Um... And I just don't understand this. I've seen a few bands recently, like just beat down hardcore has become very big in the last few years. And now I have seen a few bands that are trying to do like the start stop thing that Code Orange do. Vane are apparently the next big ones. And I think I just could not get on board with that last Vane album. I thought that's quite, quite bollocks to be honest. Um, there's a few more coming up the rear. I think Jesus Peace was another one. And I didn't mind and the few songs of them that I've heard. But again, no one's doing it like Code Orange at the moment. Um, Swallowing the Rabbit Hole. I love... It's got a great... It's got such a cool intro, the like, offbeat drum part. Um, that whole glitch industrial breakdown, that weird, like, pinchy, scrapey uh, opening riff, like the... It's... it's 
great was that no that was the second single i think underneath came first the title track um that one two into sulfur surrounding um into the easy way sulfur surrounding is like the lone like lonely sounding guitars just with each other like the that like really quiet destitute um muted pick and then the one the the one the rest of the band comes in after the intro it just hits so hard reba sounds great similar sort of thing to milk teeth um with becky this sort of vibe and that's and this sort of like song structure suits reba down to the ground those little spikes of synth and guitars like throughout the, the verses work really well the final 90 seconds of Sofa Surrounding is amongst some of the best in music right now. <coughs> the like fast-paced breakdown um, that's so openly like almost bright hardcore after just like the sonic viciousness from the chorus into the final breakdown into like the resounding like of the end of the exit of the song and then it goes into the easy way a rewrite or a reworking or a sequel of the only way which was a adult swim exclusive um it was already a great song and this somehow improves it again it, everything that makes the only way a really good song they just add more of it and make it better there's more industrial there's more punk there's more hardcore there's more metal and it all just comes together to make something so much better than the parts last time awesome and carbine the trade-offs between reba and jamie are just insanely good the industrial whistle in the chorus is great on this version it sounds fucking incredible on the acoustic version that they did on under the skin um did they trade harshest on here Oh, fucking hell. I'm listening to it again now, and Reba just sounds so great. Now, their trade-off on the choruses just works really well together. That's what I was reminding myself of and what I was just trying to see. Reba and Jamie have both come on so much as vocalists as well. Reba just has more, like so much control over her clean vocals now. Jamie has, a, I think, like a bare ear for when to come in and when to drop back in music now. Um, underneath the title track is a fucking worldy swell of industrial gloom during the chorus is just fantastic there's it, I listened to this album again last night in full and I forgot just how like there's a bunch of songs I will have in my phone playlist so Swallowing the Rabbit Hole Soulful Surrounding The Easy Way Underneath uh, Autumn and Carbine Sometimes and I just think, like, man, I've got, like, such the greatest hits underneath. But then going through it last night, um, You and You Alone, Out Slipknot, Slipknot, uh, Who I Am is a amazing 90s horror soundtrack. Um, last One Left has got such a great drum display by Jamie. I know live it is a... Is it Eric? Not, I was going to say Eric Young. That's not right at all. He's a wrestler. Um, but they've got someone else to do drums live, but in studio it's still Jamie Morgan. Um, 
back behind the glass. It's just a oh, it's just a fucking angry record. A song that one. That is just. Is that the shortest song outside the intro? It's the second shortest by two seconds from um, Erasure Scan, but it's just a fucking. I was gonna say it's an absolute clusterfuck, but then you've got a um, a sliver where the chorus on that the that chorus on a sliver absolutely fucks. It is just borderline thrash metal. Um, Reba again sounding fucking great. We're standing for Reba as well now. I've decided um, Hannah and Reba. That's who we're here for now. Um, and Becky, a lot of, lot of, lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll throw Becky in there as well. Why not? It's just, again, I don't know of another album that is doing what Code Orange are doing. And I know I'm like repeating a lot of what actual music experts say, and I might be like poisoning my mind to somewhat, but it's, I've repeated it because they are making absolute fucking sense. Who else is performing like this? Who else is trying to like a similar sort of thing with Anathrak? Who else is trying to challenge Code Orange and this sound, in this vibe, in this environment? Like I help trying to um, compose or help compose the ever metal top twenty albums of the year, and I got everyone's in. And I, oh, well, not everyone's. I got a few in, and I got must have about a dozen or so, and. I was like the fact that no one, no one else mentioned underneath, and I was like, how, how for people who work in the field of of reviewing, admittedly like un- predominantly underground, I think. Um, so out of my out of my top twenty, I reviewed um, twenty twenty by Eskimo Callboy. I reviewed Fracture by Bleed from Within, and and document by Analothrak. So they're like probably the biggest names that I've at least I've I've seen so far. But the fact that there's like loads of AOR stuff, loads of power metal, loads of like mainland Europe um, metal, and a lot of like stuff in South America as well. So we're never going to get anything like underneath. But the fact that it's dropped, Code Orange as a band. They they were on billboards in the middle of California. They were invited to the Grammys. I think they won the Grammy, didn't they? They are doing things that metal bands simply don't do. And then underneath is doing things that music, like heavy metal musicians and hardcore musicians just aren't doing. And there's people who, with their ear to the ground of alternative music, just aren't fucking with them at all. And I don't understand. Because you want some kind of release whether it's aggression whether it's relief whether it's um just a bit of catharticism if that's a word you want something like that in your music in your heavy music and underneath does that in every way you could possibly think of and code orange as a whole just do that and they were a step ahead of everyone doing these live shows um when we were peak lockdown and i just don't get why people into alternative music just don't get Code Orange or Underneath. I think they are just they're an incredible band. They're a once in a lifetime kind of band I think and I may be be being corrupted by 
other reviews and other like voices but i just think every time i hear someone say like code orange is great because of xyz i don't think well are they really because you know there's uh, there's this band that's doing this this band that's doing that i'll see like code orange are great because they're doing this you know like, you know what you've got a fucking point mate yeah there's a yeah i i think you're pretty spot on with that but there it is i'm not going to go for 20 down to one again because my throat really oh my god it really hurts but code orange with underneath their fourth studio album is my number one album of the year and with that we're fucking done boys um uh, thank you for sitting around for over two motherfucking hours holy shit it's just me it's just me if it was like me and someone else i kind of get it but it's just me blathering on for hours on end um do free feel free to do like shares and shit like that and i do what you want i don't mind uh let me know if i'm an idiot let me know if i just spunked over code orange too much and let me know if you also stand or stan uh Becky from Milk Teeth, Hannah from Creeper, and Reba from Code Orange. And or just tell me that I'm a simp. Either or, I don't really mind. You could do what you want. You're a you're a free man and or woman. You just fucking do what you want. It's it's a semi. It's not a free country anymore. It's 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 told to us it's a free country, so we'll just take that and run, I think. Um I'm thinking about having this as like a more of a monthly thing because the stress of trying to get everything together week on week on week whilst also doing a full-time job um missing out on a lot of things because my new job especially like uh, i couldn't even listen to me mu- yeah, listen to music at my old job it's very hard to listen to music um i don't really have a commute anymore um i can't listen to music in office um and i found that having time to sit with albums longer and really take him in also helps to for me remembering what I want to say in the final product. So I'm thinking about doing this more of a monthly thing, a monthly greatest hits to go along with the playlist. So there will hopefully be more Tessellation Sounds in the future, and I'm kind of maybe dabbling with the idea of either having January's episode, or sorry, February's episode, or maybe a secondary one in January just for all the cool shit that I'm looking forward to in uh, 2021 in terms of music. So there's there's stuff and things and plans and ideas on the horizon um if you give a shit about my musical opinions but until such time enjoy the rest of your day rest of your week the rest of your whatever whatever you choose to listen to this um do actually honestly give me um your thoughts and opinions on what you think sucked and what you think shouldn't be in my top 20 because i'm always i this time of year is my favorite time of year finding people's top tens and seeing what people think is better than what other things um like tom my friend he he had he did a top 50 which first of all fucking nutter but he had like code orange it is in like 30s or 40s and i was basically saying you take that off now and you rearrange you reevaluate what's important to you um but i suppose everyone's gonna have their own opinions so do let me know um his number one didn't even make it my top 20 so i suppose that's um repercussions and yeah i will speak to you all in 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 time i guess i'm very tired totally bye